Welcome back into Sideline Stories podcast. This is episode four with class of 2016 Siena St. Ryan Oliver and myself, Connor Fenland. Thanks for all who have tuned in already on Sideline Stories. Don't forget to continue to subscribe wherever you listen to uh, your podcast. You can also follow along on our Twitter and Instagram account, side underscore stories pod. Today we are joined by the radio voice of the Siena Saints basketball team on top 1,398.7, a member of the 2019 Arena Football League champion, our Albany Empire. We'll get into that for sure. And a Syracuse graduate, AJ Cannell. AJ, thanks for joining us. Thanks, guys. I really enjoyed what you've done so far. And it's really useful for someone like me that's always trying to learn uh, more about the history of Siena basketball. And glad to be a part of it now. No, we appreciate it. You know, obviously this is, this is going to be a tough opening question, but Take us back to, you know, you call that Manhattan game in Atlantic City. You're, you know, you're, you're hoping for, a, you know, a MAC tournament championship, NCAA, and then COVID hits. Where, where, have, you, where have you been since then? Yeah, well, where have I been? Uh, nowhere too notable because sports as we know it, you know, it kind of came to a big uh, stop. And that's tough for someone like me that gets um, paid by the game, uh, does, uh, does this on a freelance basis. But I mean, more importantly than that, just uh, for the team, like, let's start right there. I mean, that was crazy, you know, being a part of that. Um, as the entire world came to a close, like kind of getting to witness that on an up-close and personal basis as the, you know, the Rudy Gobert positive test came down the same night that we beat Manhattan. And at the time, sort of thinking like, huh, well, that kind of stinks. Uh, you know, they might, you know, they, soon after that, they announced they were shutting down the NBA. But reality still didn't set in because we were still there in Atlantic City celebrating the victory over Manhattan. Uh, they had recently announced that the NCAA tournament was going to go on, but just without fans. So we're sort of still feeling a little bit, in retrospect, a little bit delusional probably to, to think that this could really happen even after the NBA had shut down. Then, of course, wake up the following morning, get on the bus, go to practice by the time practice had started almost every other conference had shut their conference tournament down yet we were still practicing so I tweeted out a video at the time saying um, I don't know if it was 100% accurate but the only college <laughs> basketball practice in the country that's about what it felt like because pretty much every other conference had canceled most of the other teams in the MAC were playing that was kind of our off day it was like that in-between day because we were the one seed um, and we were practicing. By the time we got back on the bus to go back to the hotel, they, they had canceled the MAC tournament too. And, um, and that was the announcement that was made uh, at that time. But just to be with the group, to have won 10 straight games, to have won decisively that MAC quarterfinal game, and to sort of see what it was like uh, as everyone was sort of processing the emotions, you know, the seniors on the team, realizing that this was it for them, that they weren't going to get a chance to to go to the NCAA tournament, or at the very least, the NIT, which was, which was a guarantee. Let's not forget about that either. Um, it was just a crazy rush of, rush of emotions, you know, for the entire team. And then, of course, within a couple of days, a day or two after that, like once we headed back home, we realized that, look, um, this stinks for us, but it really stinks for the entire world if it's getting shut down. Could, could you recall, like, you know, who – was it a tweet when you guys found out the news that, that Carm kind of let everybody know on the bus? Like, who actually broke the news that, you know, that it was all done? Yeah. Um, so what I recall is that you know, everybody sort of, by the time practice had even started, it was like, look, this is our last practice of the year. Like, they were just doing, like, 
we were just messing around at that point um, because we knew that we were not going to play another game. But when we got back on the bus, so I sit, the broadcasters, as you know, Connor, because you're a member of the broadcast team, we sit like right behind where the coaches sit, kind of in between the coaches and the players. So I could see Carm on a call at the front of the bus and it could kind of was sort of eavesdropping a little bit and could hear what was happening and that got the unfortunate news and that was relayed to the rest of the team at the time on the bus when that news came out the word was the mac tournament's been canceled if there is an ncaa tournament we will be the team that is representing the mac because there was that little bit of a lag time about two hours or so between when the MAC tournament got canceled and then the NCAA tournament actually got canceled while I was on the LeVac and Gaz on a guest spot. We'll always remember that. It was live on the air on 104.5, the team sort of setting the scene from Atlantic City, and that, that bulletin came in actually while I was on the air. That was when we were back in the hotel. That came out later that, no, you know, nobody's going to be playing anymore the rest of this season. But that was kind of how it went down. Coach Carm learned officially on the bus and let everyone know it's just it's like surreal just I mean you guys have played basketball at the collegiate level at the D1 level to be sitting there at your conference tournament on a team bus and have reality set in that this is all getting canceled it's just so unprecedented so unheard of yeah and uh I could be wrong but that would have been your first NCAA tournament experience uh would have been this year correct if they would have made it yeah as a pro I guess I mean at, at, at Syracuse doing student radio got a chance to do that but was certainly looking forward to having an opportunity to get back there um, at, you know as a as a broadcaster who actually gets paid to do this and this it felt like there was going to be a good chance um, to go to the NCAA tournament but really just felt terrible for for Elijah Burns who had his career cut short in a lot of ways, didn't get much of a chance to play early in his career, and then looked like he was going to be heading, taking his hometown team to the NCAA tournament, never got that chance. And then, you know, the other guys like Matt Hine and Ben Diamond as well, the seniors on the team. Yeah, it, I still remember when I found out the news, I just, you know, your heart goes out to those guys. You know, it's like you said, especially the seniors. What – did you think or did you see the ending of the season happening or like with the Saints winning 10 straight? Like, did you kind of nail, put a nail to it, the first like turning point in the season where they're like, all right, we're, we're clicking on all cylinders and we're going to have a strong finish? Yeah, I mean, and let's, let's remember, like it was 10 straight and that was after they were 10 and 10. So mm -hmm. it's, it's a 500 team with kind of that ugly loss at Cal Poly and some other moments where you're kind of questioning, like, you know, what is this group really bringing this year? Is it kind of going to be a step back from the previous year? It's a first-year head coach who's kind of unproven. And then from that point forward, didn't lose again. Um, and, and, I mean, I don't, it's a tough question because seven of those ten wins, from what I recall, were were by three possessions or more and there were a couple of close games in the middle of that streak but for the most part like this team was just running teams out of the gym mm -hmm. so there wasn't necessarily that like I mean there was the picket buzzer beater against Maris that was already well into the streak I don't mm -hmm. know if there was necessarily like a defining moment that I can think it also just feels like this was all happening like 10 years ago <laughs> so, <laughs> so probably my memories I wish they would be a little bit clearer but 
it, it was it was kind of like a Siena avalanche that just sort of began and just kept on going, and it felt like they weren't going to lose again for a while, that they weren't going to lose again until the postseason. And uh, just, again, it stunk that they didn't get that chance. You know, obviously working alongside of you, I've seen, you know, firsthand how, you know, how much passion you have in this, in the broadcasting. But talk a little bit about how much, how mu you know, how it is to, uh, you know, broadcast a team that's winning, is doing great. You know, a lot of times if you're, if you, if you're you know, broadcasting a team that's not winning that much, sometimes it's hard to, you know, explain what's going on. But with this year's team, You've had some good teams at Siena. Talk a little bit about the success that goes into you, your job uh, being easier also. That's a good question. I mean, it's, it's also – I'm taking it from a very – I'm thinking about it from a sort of broad-based perspective too because, like, to me, such an important part of the job is traveling with the team. And, and you guys know how much work you put in on a day-by-day -day basis all year round, 365 days, and how the team is together and gelling a lot of the year, like you're staying there a lot of the times in the summer, and you're going through the grueling training camp before the season, and the coaches are there in their offices all year round. And then all of a sudden, someone like me just like parachutes in and is all of a sudden a part of the traveling party during the season, where I'm not necessarily there and getting to know these guys all year round. So I'm very conscious of that. And the reason why I bring that up as a part of your question is like, when things are going well, the last thing I want to do is mess it up. I just want to be I, – I want to obviously enjoy my time with the team, get to know some of the guys, but I just kind of want to be as uninvasive as possible when I'm around the team and traveling on the road with them and kind of just try and put my head down, do my job, make sure that I'm making it noticed that I'm there and care about the team, but also not getting in the way of everything. And – to me, when things are going well, it's almost more important because it's like you just don't want to mess up. Like, the, I think Tim, Tim, your last guest, he mentioned like sitting on the wrong seat on the bus when he was with the women's team, like that sort of thing. Like, you got to make sure you are locked into everyone else's routine and just not messing things up in any way. Like, making sure that when coach uh, sets a time for whatever meeting or film or meal, and like you're um, it's understood that as a broadcaster, you might be welcome for that, that you're not late, that you're always like the first one there, making sure you're not holding anyone up. That sort of stuff is really important. And then as far as like the on-court stuff, it's obviously more fun when the team is doing well. Um, it's just, it's a much more fun product to call. More people are going to be listening. The adrenaline is going to be increased when you're playing in bigger games. And it's just, it's just simply more fun. I mean, we had a couple of bad years as well the last few years that I, uh, you know, where I was around the team and having to go through that with everyone else. And that, that can get difficult to try and be, you know, honestly, an honest representative of what's going on out there and try and narrate the action in an honest way. But also, you know, as a, as a representative of the school, you got to make sure you're doing it professionally and certainly not singling out anyone and being unfair unfairly negative either so those are that's kind of the own set of challenges when things are going wrong you know when things are going right as far as the actual calling of the game like you're just having fun with everyone else and trying to have as much fun as possible with the listener uh, absolutely what would you say has been your favorite part of kind of that experience of uh you know not watching a game or practice but just the off court and the travel like what part have you enjoyed the most I think especially with um with what we've seen at Siena the like the last few years which hasn't always necessarily been the best thing like you want to have some stability from a coaching staff standpoint hopefully Carm stays here for a long time 
but um, we've had three coaches, uh, three different coaching staffs come through uh, over the last several years with Jimmy, Jamian, and now Coach Carm. Getting a chance in a four-year span, that's how long I've been doing the game so far, to see three different head coaches and coaching staffs and see how all these different people have operated. I'm going to have to put that as my best thing so far because it's just such a privilege to learn more about the game, learn more about how um, great teams function and how different coaches have different philosophies. And obviously it hasn't been ideal, again, to have some of that coaching turnover here. But that's been one of the bright side, you know, silver linings from my perspective, just to get a chance to learn from a whole lot of different people so far. How, uh, how early in life and when did you realize you wanted to be a broadcaster? I think at, a, at least a subconscious level from the time I was two or three or like could even talk. I mean, my parents have tapes of me sitting in front of a TV pretending to call the action. Um, and like there were two things. Number one, I loved sports. And then number two, I just was always fascinated by the human voice. Um, it even it wasn't even necessarily sports. It was like, I used to, we used to vacation in a, in a Gunkwit, Maine, because my grandparents used to have a house there. And in a Gunkwit, for anyone who's familiar, which it's a pretty popular vacation spot in the Northeast, so probably at least a few people who are listening might be, a Gunkwit had, I don't know if they have it anymore, but they had these trolleys that would go around these, like you see them in San Francisco to like these trolleys that, that go around. And I used to be fascinated by the way that the trolley driver would say the next stop and so I would go home and I would like get on my bike or whatever and I would pretend to bike around and I would be announcing the stops that I had memorized of the entire route um, around a gunkwood Maine just because I liked the way they spoke about it I was also interested in voiceovers and kind of like the deep movie guy voiceover that sort of thing and certainly interested in hearing the way that announcers broadcast games and how that it really amplified the viewing experience like the athletes first and foremost are the most exciting thing and that's why people tune in but the way that bill raftery can add to a moment with the onions double order he can cement that moment in history obviously ronald moore deserves the primary credit for making that moment happen but bill raftery really helped amplify that moment in history with what he added in terms of his commentary so that, that element of it has always fascinated me. And then as I've kind of grown up and figured out more specifically what I wanted to do within the sports world and, and, and understanding that, yeah, I want to be a sports broadcaster. And then even within that, okay, do you want to be a radio talk show host? Do you want to be uh, an anchor, like someone who's doing either local news or, or at the highest level, someone who's, you know, like an SVP anchoring sports center? What, what are your dreams? Mine have been doing live events because I just love the adrenaline of being associated with that live game. I can't play at the highest level. I learned that, but you can still be involved. That's kind of my goal to be involved as, as high a level as, as possible in, in high adrenaline situations with these games. Uh, I, I understand that. So can, can you name someone who, if they're calling a game, you know, you're going to kind of mark your calendar and make sure that you're tuned in because there may be a favorite or you just want to keep learning from them? Yeah. So, I mean, on a college basketball note, which I think that's a good place to start because that's our primary, I know your primary listenership here. <laughs> um, the McDonough, Billis, and what used to be Raftery. Now it's just McDonough and Billis. 
But those three were always my favorite, like big Mondays, big East. Like that was always, first of all, the Encore product was amazing. And then also just hearing them, like the great combination of Sean McDonough's ability to, again, meet the moment and bring great energy and make a great call. And then also just how witty the three of them are together, the way that they can loop humor in to what they're doing with the call and also have like really incisive commentary. That was always a appointment viewing, especially when, when Raftery was involved, the three of them, the way they work together. Sean McDonough has always been an idol of mine because he, like me, is from Massachusetts, like me, went to Syracuse. Um, so those are two things we've had in common. I grew up watching him when he was the voice of the Red Sox and still watch him to this day and have you know, a similar, similar goals in mind as far as like the career that he's carved out. That would be a dream to get anywhere near what he's accomplished in terms of doing um, he's had done a lot of other stuff too, like call the world series. But, but right now, you know, he calls college football and college basketball at a really high level. Um, so that's definitely one thing that, that comes to mind. I think one guy who does a really great job right now that I've, you know, you don't want to necessarily try and copy anyone's style, but you can steal. And we could maybe talk more about that, but you can steal little things from them. And I've definitely gleaned a lot from Brian Anderson, who's been one of the, the, you know, you've seen him if you've been watching the NBA playoffs. He's been on, on TNT. He also does the NCAA tournament, and he does the, the Milwaukee Brewers and MLB postseason on TBS. I love how smooth he is and how polished he is and really look up to him. And he, he's, I know he's a phenomenal person as well. So no Chris Webber? <laughs> Well, he, yeah, he works with, uh, with, with BA. I think they're a great team, like the humor that the C-Web has. So the thing is, too, though, you got to remember, I guess I naturally gravitate towards, like, the Brian Anderson of the world because, like, that's – obviously, I'm not going to be the Chris <laughs> Webber. I'll leave that to somebody like Connor, who's the former player, where I'm kind of thinking about, like, which play-by-play -play guy I can hopefully live up to someday. Sure. So uh, who, who would you say has been your biggest mentor uh, in the industry? Um, Jason Benetti definitely comes to mind. He um, is the voice of the White Sox and also does ESPN college football and college basketball. He's a great story in his own right. He, he has cerebral palsy and has overcome a lot to get to where he is. Um, but he's also just like the most empathetic, helpful, kind, compassionate person you could ever possibly imagine in an industry full of people that probably are absorbed with their own interests and like where they want to get. Uh, this is a guy that just bends over backwards to help other people. I was lucky enough that he was an adjunct professor at Syracuse when I was there as a student. And he was still at that time working in AAA ball as a voice of the Syracuse Chiefs. Pretty quickly after that, his career skyrocketed and he's now kind of in the majors basically, whether it be at the major league baseball itself or, at the highest level of college sports doing games for ESPN. But I got lucky that my timing coincided with him, that he was still in the Syracuse area when I was a student there. And he's been, he's been a mentor of mine ever since, someone that I can go to when I'm looking for advice as far as how to navigate the industry, but also advice in terms of just how to get better at what I'm doing. I've gotten a chance to work with Connor, you know, for a couple of episodes. You've obviously have a little, a little bit more longer history with him. How is it working with Connor and, you know, how's that experience been thus far? Well, also, I mean, to answer that question and add to it in a way, like it's great, Connor, that you're doing this because I was going to say this is a great example of something you can do to, to get better at your craft too. So I'm glad you're doing it. Um, it, it it's, and it's been great so far, but 
for someone, it's so difficult. Like, as I already said, I was focusing on broadcasting from a really young age and went to school for four years honing my craft and then had a bunch of years afterward to continue trying to get better. For someone like Connor coming in with no broadcasting experience whatsoever, his only experience is having played the game, which is, which is all we, we need because that's the most important thing. But, you know, he can attest to it how difficult it is when you're broadcasting a game on radio, the, when people talk about the adjustment, um, one of your first two guests, met, I think it was Ronald Moore, was talking about the speed of the game from the high school to the college level and that adjustment there. Um, same thing kind of applies when you're broadcasting, like especially in Connor's role, he has such limited time to articulate his thoughts on, and analyze the play because then it needs to get back to me to describe every second of what's going on for the viewer. And then the basket either goes in or doesn't go in. Oftentimes it could still be a live ball situation. The guy's maybe taking it across half court. And then Connor has that limited window to get in his description of what he saw and his analysis and what he, you know, what's going on in the game. It's, it's really, really challenging, way more challenging for the analyst on radio compared to TV where the viewer can see what's, what's going on we don't have to worry as much about the whole timing of it because you can talk over the play. So with no broadcasting experience coming in, I think Connor's done a tremendous job just showing his personality um, as someone who cares so much about Siena, knows a ton about the game, kind of has that coach's son background, the ability to break down plays and um, great chemistry working with me. I'd like to think because we're because we're friends, you know, that, that always helps too for us to be friends in real life, to actually like each other. And hopefully that's Lent. I would, I would like to think to good uh, chemistry on the air. Yeah, we're, we're both, both big Celtics fans. That, that always helps <laughs> kind of thing. But no, thank, that, no it's, it's great working with AJ. You know, it's, as he said, you have little time to get what you got to get out and say. But, you know, it's, it's, it's one thing you learn quick. And it's one of those jobs you just learn on the fly. <laughs> every game you're going to get better. Like, you know, my first game, I, I don't even, I was saying chicken wing. I was just saying random words just to, just to fill space. And I learned sometimes talk, you don't always have to talk. And that, that's one thing I learned, but AJ talk a little bit about, you know, what, what goes into a game day, you know, a home game or a away game. What, what, you know, what, what do you do to fill the time to get ready and prepare for each game? It usually the process starts for me. It's an ongoing process from whenever the last game completed. And what I try and do to get ready for the game is to put as much information as possible on an eight and a half by 14 times two um, sheet of paper. When I say times two, I, I put two pieces of paper, two legal size pieces of paper, staple them to a manila folder. The left side of it's Sienna, the right side of it's the other team. And I'm putting as much information about these two teams on these pieces of paper so I can have it in front of me. The reason why I want to have it all on one sheet of paper is because when a game is going on and you need quick access to information, you don't have time to be ruffling through different game notes and different pieces of information. It's either got to be there right in front of you or most of the time it's probably already got to be in your head. And the process of putting all this stuff on the paper helps me memorize a lot of it. So whether that be just simply remembering the opposing – because you learn the guys on Siena really quickly. Like, I know our guys, but 
the opposing team, learning who's on the team, what's their number, so that when somebody catches the ball, the first thing I got to do is to be able to identify who they are. And when there's, you know, if, a team's, if, if there's a team like Manhattan that's pressing the whole game and playing 13 guys, that might be a little bit more difficult than it sounds in a fast-paced game. So memorizing the guys based on either jersey number or a lot of times in basketball where, you know, football and sports like that where they have helmets on, you, start, you sort of go more with the number. Basketball could be the number. It could also a lot of the times just be their appearance, going and making sure beforehand you see what different guys look like um, and, and memorizing it that way. So you memorize who they are. You put their uh, – their numbers, their name, their hometown, their weight, their height, whatever, right in front of you. Organizing it like I do by position. Some people organize their spotting board is what you call this sheet. Some people organize their spotting board by number. I like to organize it by position, both starters and bench, so I can have a good idea in my head of just the other team, the, the way that they like to run things, what their system is. From, the, from there, making sure you have everyone's stats who's the other teams and who are the Siena updated leaders in categories. I like to have that printed in red. Who's the leader in three point percentage points per game, assists per game, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, all the way down the line, making sure I have that in red and the other stats in black, having biographical info on every single player on both teams for Siena. The challenge there is how to keep it fresh. You know, halfway through the season, we might already know that Jalen Pickett is uh, you know, all of his accolades and accomplishments that he last year was the rookie of the year. This year is the player of the year, you know, that he is on such and such watch list, which we probably already talked about that. So I can reinforce that, but I got to maybe talk to Jalen and figure out another cool story about him to keep it fresh on the Siena side. I learned halfway through the season this past year that, you know, for instance, why Gary Harris Jr. tapes his wrists, like, there's almost no basketball players who play in a game with fully taped wrists. And I learned that Gary Harris does that because one time in high school, he went up for a dunk and took a hard fall and he broke his wrist. Since then, he's taped his wrists. He tapes his right one looser so he can still follow through with his jumper. I think it's kind of weird, but that's what he does. And I was able to explain it, coming up with new stories like that. And then on the other side, more introductory notes so that, look, if all of a sudden – uh, Tawan Ag for Iona is going off. What's his backstory? Like, I, it's radio, so for the most part, we're just describing what's going on out there on the court, and that's the first priority is to let people know what's going on. But I'd rather these guys not just be faceless, anonymous people. I'd like to try and bring them to life as much as possible. So if a guy on the other team is having a good game or is struggling, um, I want to be able to put that in perspective making sure from a statistical standpoint, if someone on the other team is struggling, huh, okay, well, we know he normally averages this many points per game or has this percentage. This is noteworthy that he's not doing that. Or if somebody is going off, hey, guess what? He was actually Jalen Pickett's AAU teammate. Now he's doing this against him. Having different pieces of information, oftentimes trying to link it back towards Albany or Siena if possible, and then having notes on the coaches, having the team stats, having their Ken Palm numbers, having the strength of schedule, whatever could possibly be useful. What's their winning streak? What have they done against Siena in the past? In terms of a team perspective, like, you know, Siena tends to struggle down at St. Peter's. Uh, how many times in a row have they lost there? Actually having that number. Um, 
What are Evan Fisher's numbers against St. Peter's? You know, having all of those things, you might not use most of it during the game, but any bit of it might need to be used. Because if Evan Fisher has a big game, I want to be able to know that this is the third straight time he's torched St. Peter's. So having all that information is really crucial, even if you only use 5 to 10% of it per game. And that's why that process starts after the, the last game, the previous game concludes. I get to work as soon as possible compiling my spotting board for the next game, um, putting that information down. Takes at the beginning of the year when things are new and it's non-conference opponents, new opponents, probably about anywhere from seven and a half to 10 hours per game. And then as the season goes on, you get to more familiar opponents. Then eventually you get to opponents you're playing for a second time in the season or more than that. Then that, that prep time goes down a little bit. So you have all of that. And then the last thing I'll do is make sure that I listen back to our previous game, hear what, how the call went, identify things that I can do better to have a better call for the listener, make life easier on Connor and just sort of critique myself and make sure I come out ready to do a better job the next game. Yeah, that's, that's intense. You know, like I, I have so much more appreciation, you know, hearing this because again, I was a player. So I was kind of just focused on myself, but seeing the background work and, and all that, like I definitely hats off to you and you, you hit on my next question. So I guess two part question. One, how do you listen back to it since it's radio? Is it like pre-recorded? And then the second one, you know, how hard are you on yourself when you're judging? Is there like a mentor like that you're able to send it to to get feedback from or what's your evaluation process? Yeah. And like some of the the guys that I already mentioned that I name dropped a little bit, like, you know, the ideal situation is to develop relationships with people like that. And you can send your tape to them and get good, honest feedback from people who are doing it at the highest level. But um, to more directly answer it, like I'm my own worst critic. And I feel like that's the way that it has to be. Like if when I listen back and the way that I do listen back to trace it even further back is I record the games directly onto my computer through a recording program to get a high quality audio recording. Uh, most radio stations, I could also go back and um, ask the producer or whatever to send me a copy. But I like to be able to, if I want to, as soon as that game ends, I want to listen to uh, what it sounded like especially if we're like on the way back on a team bus until three in the morning, like what else do I have to do? I might as well do that um, after a road game. Um, the other thing is during our post game show, we do a highlight play of the game. So when having the recording on site, that allows me to quickly cut the play of the game out, uh, you know, get a copy of that and then play that back for our listeners. If Gary Harris had a big dunk for us, you know, that was I feel like he had like half the plays of the game this year because he was always catching alley-oops and making ridiculous blocks and stuff like that. But that's another reason why I have the audio recording. So I record that onto my computer. And then when I'm listening back, there are just certain things that I'm locked into as far as I know that I need to do a better job of describing different verbs and adjectives for the way that a ball is passed, for instance. And like, basketball is a pretty repetitive sport a lot of the same motions and plays especially like you know the, the way that the sport works these days like how many times do you see teams come up the court and like you know think about Sienna like how good Jalen Pickett is at pick and roll like they're running pick some version of pick and roll like numerous times during the game 
So how are you coming up with different ways, for instance, to describe a pick and roll or a dribble handoff or any other set or action that's going on during the game? Different ways to describe that. Different verbs, whether it was the ball shoveled, was the ball spirited, was it thrown sharply or crisply, was it lobbed, was it feathered, was it fired, uh, was it lasered? What, you know, different ways to describe the action of passing the ball. And then you can extend that out to different ways to describe when the shot goes in or doesn't go in or the shot is blocked or stuffed or rejected or whatever, if the ball is dunked. Coming up with different ways to describe each action and making sure during the game I'm not becoming repetitive, that's a key thing. There's also things that I'm listening back and monitoring in terms of tone of voice. You know, if a big shot goes in, was I too over the top? Was I not energetic enough? Um, Was I quick enough to get out and give Connor room to analyze the play? Uh, All sorts of stuff like that. Was I giving time and score enough? Like there are times when like we're having like a hilarious back and forth. I felt like, man, like we really had a great conversation there about um, we had one conversation this year at, at the Colgate game. I still remember because we had both read this ESPN article about different basketballs that, that are used throughout the country. Remember that article with yep. like the rock and the Nike balls and the Wilson and the whatever, the Spalding, whatever. And we went on talking about that. I don't remember if this was an issue during this broadcast, but for instance, maybe I go back and listen to that nice conversation and then realize, man, I haven't given the score for three minutes. And (laughs) some listener just got into his car and is like, AJ, I don't care about Spalding basketballs. I just want to know what the score is. Is Sienna winning or not? (laughs) So that's the most important thing. And, And listening back for stuff like that. So, and when something does go wrong and I feel like I, you know, I, did I stumble here or, did I not, was I too repetitive or did we not give the time and score enough or whatever it was when something like that goes wrong and I feel like I didn't do a good job, like it kills me. Like I hate it because number one, I feel like I want to be the best I can be. But number two, I know that real people are listening and counting and depending on us to give the best possible call. And I want them, I want them to enjoy what they're hearing. I don't want anyone to tune in to the Siena game and think, man, this is a minor league broadcast with a minor league broadcaster. I want them to, li- to tune in and say, Siena basketball is playing in the Times Union Center with thousands of fans there. We know that even though we're a quote-unquote mid-major school, we know the quality of our program and that the broadcaster matches the quality of what we know Siena College to be and the men's basketball program to be. You hit the nail right on the head on that one. But how how important is it to your job to have the unique access that Santa allows you, you know, with the coaches and the players, having weekly coaching shows, being able to uh, interview Coach Karn before and after the game? How does that, you know, make your job easier? I think it just makes you feel like you're a part of things, which is always good. Um, That when sometimes, a lot of the time, too, there might be something that you know that you're not actually going to say on the air, but it's like, let's say such and such player was sick or, is, or you know, he's been struggling a bit for whatever, like personal reasons the last couple of weeks. And, and you go on the air and you might've heard that in a meeting with coach Carm before you, you got on, you went into the locker room and talked to them and, and Carm was saying, Hey, like, you know, this has been the deal with, with this guy the last couple of weeks. Like we're not going to be as hard as him on the broadcast. Cause we know what he's actually going through, even if we're not going to actually necessarily talk about it. Um, and like I addressed at the beginning of this show, um, 
just like that's the part that I appreciate the most just as somebody who didn't get a chance to play division one basketball or even come close to getting to play basketball at that level getting to be around a team see how things operate and the kind of the way that my brain is wired like I'm a natural competitor I'm someone who is really motivated and driven to succeed at a high level and getting a chance to to rub elbows with a lot of people that are also highly driven and motivated and operate uh, within that universe of division one athletics. Like that's the thing that I'm constantly grateful for. I would say, you know, I don't, I think we already addressed a little bit how it makes the broadcast easier and just like, obviously having a good relationship, having that access with these guys, knowing the real story of what's going on, like it's always going to make for a better broadcast, but just on a personal level, I just so cherish and enjoy getting to be a part of this environment as someone who didn't get to really have that as a player. Yeah, that, that's awesome to hear. Can you touch upon kind of how the whole process of you being hired at, at you know, for the, the broadcast position at Siena? Because it seems like my research is correct that Siena loves Syracuse alums, you know, like <laughs> there must be something in the water. Can you talk about that process? Yeah, well, it's cool because we have the upstate New York connection. I always feel like there's a there's been a bit of a relationship like between these two schools anyway, where I mean, like you, you had Tim on. He mentioned that he's a Siena fan and a Syracuse fan. I feel like I hear that a lot around here because um, there's schools that more often just get to be like cohabitants or whatever of upstate New York, most more so than rivals. But yeah, like Robert Lee, who came before me. Uh, and was here for, I mean, he's still doing the games on TV. So he's been here, you know, calling Siena games in some way, shape, or form now for two decades. But the greater part of two decades was the radio voice before me. He's a Syracuse alum. And so to have that streak of, you know, two decades of Syracuse alums calling Siena basketball is something that I'm proud of. Obviously, Syracuse is a great broadcast journalism program. So it's no coincidence that there are a lot of us you know, they call it Sportscaster U is the nickname for Syracuse. So there's a lot of us in a lot of different places, but it's great that, you know, Siena has been a part of it. The story of how I came to Siena, Ryan, is an interesting one. Um, so the previous three years, so I, when I graduated from Syracuse, it was 2013. And I was fortunate enough that um, my first full-time job out of Syracuse was getting hired by a radio station in Vermont and getting a chance to call. Part of that was hosting a talk show and part of it was calling the games for University of Vermont men's basketball. And like to go from um, Syracuse University doing it, doing the games on student radio at Syracuse, which was a great experience in its own right. And then first year out of college, getting hired to do division one basketball. And I was thrilled. I mean, at that point, I'm tied for the youngest D1 basketball broadcaster in the country. I was the same age as our fifth-year seniors on that Vermont team. In some cases, younger, I think. So, so that was a, a crazy part of it as well. So I did three years there in Vermont and wound up leaving Vermont because a big portion of that job was doing talk radio, and I wanted to get into the play-by-play -play aspect of this profession full-time. And as it happened, coinciding with my departure from Vermont, the Siena job came open because Robert Lee at that time had gotten a package of games with ESPN. And also things were ramping up, I think, for him with his family, like he was having a kid and he wanted more time for his family as well. He also has a full-time day job. So he didn't want to travel with, with, the, with the team anymore and do the Siena games on the road 
he wanted to reduce his schedule with Siena and stick to the home games on TV. So they needed all of a sudden that this was at the last minute, like the season was going to start in a couple of weeks. This Siena job came open late October. So I was all of a sudden available. And I remember I called Mike Demos, the, the communications director at Siena and, and said, look, like I can show up at your doorstep for an interview tomorrow. Um, would, would love to be involved. And I was lucky enough to, to get interviewed by, by Mike and, and John Dargenio. And my biggest selling point coming in was I actually, I already described for you guys the spotting board that I used to prepare for these games. Mm-hmm. So Siena had played Vermont every single year I was, I was at Vermont. And so, and so I, and Ryan, I, I got to call actually a couple of your games uh, because of that, because you were obviously on those teams. So my selling point was I walked into that interview with Mike Demos and John Dargenio with an already prepared Siena basketball spotting board from the previous years, because we, I had done those games when Vermont had, had played Siena. And I said, look, I already know your team. We played you every single year the programs I feel like are somewhat similar, even down to the color, the green and gold. There's a similarity in terms of the success they've had um, at, at this mid-major level, the fan base that supports them. Um, the coaches at the time actually had the same alma mater in Jimmy Patsos and, and John Becker and just felt like it was, it was, it was great. It would be a great situation. And I guess the, that, um, that pitch worked. They wound up um, liking me enough to bring me on or being desperate enough because again there were only a couple weeks left until the season started and I still remember the first game that I did um, it was like a crazy whirlwind because I'm just like figuring out where I am right now uh, like I had just gotten into town I think I was either crashing on some I think I was crashing maybe on Zach By's couch the former uh, St. Rose player who uh who was the U Albany broadcaster until he left to go host a talk radio show in Denver. Um, and I, I, I think I remember like, I think I had to drive all the way from Massachusetts uh, where I'm originally from the day of the season opener. And like, I, I still feel bad about, it. I think, I think, I believe Marquise Wright scored his a thousandth point in that season opener. Like I remember, like I was, I didn't have time to read the full game notes and I didn't drop that in as it happened. And I felt terrible about it. Um, because it was such a quick process to actually just get myself there. But then as the season went along, I started to settle down more, got acclimated with the area and the team, and, and the rest is history. It's been four years, which is uh, – it feels like a long time, but I, I still feel like the new guy because um, what you, 95% of the time when someone comes up and says hello, it's, oh, you're the guy that replaced the general. That's, that's, that's still, so I get it. I mean, he was here for, you know, doing radio for 16 years or whatever it was. And now again, is still doing these games uh, on TV. So um, it's been great to be a part of this program for four years now, but I still sort of feel like the new guy. (laughs) And we, we hope you never leave either. We hope you're here forever. So I, you've touched on a lot, but I'll, I'll, I'll see, see what else we can squeeze out of you. You know, for the, for the, what's, what's something that the average person wouldn't know about broadcasting a game? That is the toughest question. <laughs> average person wouldn't know probably just the prep time, the amount of time it goes. And you know what I would say? Because here's what I would say. Because sports is everyone else's escape from reality. Like, that's why we love sports, because it's something – it's, it's something to enjoy. 
like at the end of your day or over the course of your weekend, I think if you're the average fan, like you go there for fun. That's why you pay money to go attend a Siena game because it's fun. Um, but that it's a job. That's the thing that I think that's worth reminding to everyone that, yeah, I mean, we, people say all the time, like, oh man, I'd kill to have your job or whatever. And that's awesome. Like I, that, that's why I'm so grateful to have my job because I'm working in sports and who gets to, who gets to do that? Not a lot of people. Um, but it is still a job and it still has its own stressors and its own points of tension and its own, you know, pros and cons. And that, that's what I would say, kind of like everything else. Um, there are a lot of difficulties, whether it be working crazy hours, unconventional hours, long travels, not, not stuff that I'm complaining about because I like it. I like having the challenge of working unconventional hours and not having the same day repeated over and over and over again. Um, but, or just what we were addressing earlier, like when I listen back to my stuff and it's, it's the industry also, it's a very comparative industry because no matter how successful you are um, as a broadcaster, and it probably kind of goes the same way if you're an athlete, like there's always someone that's one step ahead of you, you know, for, for, for every, um, I'm trying to think of a good example, like in the NBA, like for every Paul George, there's a Kawhi Leonard, I guess, is, is, is one way to put it. You know, for everyone that's in my position, that's fortunate enough to be calling division one basketball, Sienna, well, there's someone else that's calling the games for Duke or somebody else that's on ESPN. And I'm not saying that like, that's like occupying my thoughts 24 seven or like something that I'm absorbed with or anything. Like I'm happy to be where I'm at, but just sort of battling that in an industry where like everything's kind of out there, it can kind of turn into a very like comparative field and that's a stressor as well. And so just trying to like do your best to, to enjoy the moment. So I know it's kind of like a long winded answer to the question, but I guess the point is again, just like any other job there, this one comes with its own set of, of stressors. Yeah, no, that makes sense. So you've worked with obviously three great, you know, historical basketball programs, Syracuse University, obviously Vermont, and then now the great, the great Siena College. <laughs> What's something that stands out about Siena that the other two do not have? Oh. You're on the spot. <laughs> that is tough. Um, Siena has that the other two don't have. I mean, I, there's definitely an answer here. I'm just trying to think. <laughs> this is my, I'm supposed to be able to think on the spot too. This is my job um, <laughs> as, a, as a broadcaster. I mean, obviously the back-to-back-to-back the -back -back run uh, in, in 08, 09, 10 um, is something that was pretty special. You know, Syracuse has had its, its NCAA tournament moments as well. Um, I don't know. I mean, can, can I flip it back on you and add, like, what, 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 would, what would you think? I'm, I'm trying to brainstorm it. I don't know. I think that in, I think that the main thing that stands out about Siena is the, the true connection you built with the people there um, from the fans, from the workers, yeah. at the, from the media personnel, um, from current teammates, former players, like, even recruits, you know, like, I think the connection that's built there is, you know, it's nothing like it. I don't, I've never experienced it in my life. And just the fact that we all have that Sienna in common, it instantly connects you with literally people all over the world. And I think it's just been tremendous where 
regardless of where you are, someone knows of Sienna. They have stories that relate and kind of goes from there. I remember a quick story, not to steal it from you, but. No, go for it. I, I seeded the Florida <laughs> year. <laughs> Going into my senior year at, uh, at Sienna, I was home for like a month. So I like want to make some quick money. So I did an Uber. And my first three rides were people from upstate New York and knew about Sienna. It was the craziest thing. Like I couldn't have anyone, anyone in my car and literally the first three rides were connections to Sienna. And I was just like, all right, that really confirmed it for me, like how special the place it is. So, I, uh, yeah, Connor, go ahead. Sorry. I was going to say, I have, you know, when, when you play at Sienna, you only have Sienna gear. So that's what you wear 24 seven. So when I used to be in the summer, I would go on planes in a Sienna shirt, no matter where I was, uh, Texas, Wisconsin, someone always stopped me on the plane. Sienna? And like, I was just like, I looked at them like, Sienna, like, do you, you know about it? Because as, as the funny story I tell people all the time about living in Florida is people think of Sienna as the minivan. They don't, they don't know anything about Sienna College. So it's, but like you, like you've touched on, it's, it's a special place. And I, I kind of agree. I was going to say that you, you couldn't have picked three better places with fan bases because they all, I, I was going to, I was going to say, well, you know, we get a lot of coverage, but so does Syracuse and Vermont. And then it's like, you know, everyone, each one of those schools is like, as, as Tim Reynolds said last week, is the Yankees of that area. You know, the, the coverage is just unreal. That's what I was going to say, that, like, if, if you're making the argument that, like, Siena, the cool thing about Siena in this town compared to pretty much any other school in the MAC is that they're the Yankees of the area and they have that big league field playing in the Times Union Center. Well, Syracuse plays in the Carrier Dome and is yeah. definitely the Yankees of Syracuse, New York, the, the Syracuse yeah. basketball team. After having all this time to stall now and actually think <laughs> about it, I actually have an answer for you Perfect. that is legit, that I think will be acceptable. And, and that is the Franciscan values aspect of, of Siena. And that's somewhere, and I haven't really had a chance to ever address this because, um, like I've already said, limited time, by the way, on a, on a men's basketball radio broadcast, not a lot of time to get into religious preferences, but I'm actually, I'm Jewish. Maybe not a lot of, not a ton of people that listen to Siena games probably would know that. Um, and coming in, like, I didn't necessarily know what to expect coming to Siena, which is, you know, pretty explicitly, um, you know, a Franciscan Catholic school. And I've been so impressed by kind of like what the Franciscan values that what that mindset actually means and how that's actually applied in terms of helping others in terms of the 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 viewpoint that the people who run this school have about how to apply that to the community um, I remember being sitting on a on a charter flight back from Kansas um, beside Father Mark and getting like a kind of a quick education from him as far as what the France, the Franciscan brotherhood means to him and just being so impressed and, and realizing how much in common actually has with like my own religious background and the things that we were taught growing up when I was raised um, Jewish. So that'd be kind of a connection that I feel like I have like that appreciation for the Franciscan mindset. And that that's, and I'm just, hopefully it doesn't sound like I'm just saying that to say it, <laughs> um, you know, but I, cause I actually believe that and actually, uh, value that a lot. It's something that I think has been really cool that I've gained from my time. Wow. I, that's a, you, well said. Couldn't have been said better. 
without without basketball and obviously the Albany Empire folding, what what have you been up to this summer? Yeah, so I, I quickly realized that there was not going to be much for me to do uh, once everything you know happened uh, came down in March, and so there were you know kind of a couple months of just like letting reality set in. Actually, two weeks first of all of quarantining because the refs tested positive in our last game, so. Uh, we were instructed, Connor, you weren't there for that. Um, you, you were going to come down and do the rest of the MAC tournament, but, uh, but Andy was there doing the game with me, Andy Grizzoulis, who also does a great job for, for game one for the quarterfinals. Two of those three refs tested positive for COVID. So we were instructed to stay um, away from people for 14 days once we got back. Once that got over with, couple of months of just like reflection and not much, uh, just sort of figuring out what, what the next move was. And then actually for part of the summer, went back to, to a summer camp that I used to work at um, a long time ago and, and spent some time there on their administrative staff. Um, it's a camp called Camp Wigwam. It's in South Central Maine, in Waterford, Maine. And a cool connection. It's like kind of, I felt like I knew you, Connor, before I actually knew you because it's kind of one of those small world things that there's a family that sent all three of their kids to this camp. And I was, I was their counselor way back in the day, became close with the family, actually went down. Uh, I'm, there were a couple of times during my college broadcasting career, quote unquote, that Syracuse played at South Florida um, in once in, in men's basketball and then once in women's basketball. I made one of those trips for each. And, and, and visited them, actually went to a Tampa prep game when I was down there. Didn't know you yet at that point, but it turned out that I guess you are really tight with this family, that your dad actually coached one of the kids. And uh, when, when I got hired at Siena, you were one of the first people I, I wound up meeting, came up to introduce yourself before you even were a part of the broadcast crew. And it was a cool kind of camp connection for me and also um, – and Tampa connection for you and all circles back around to Siena. So it's a small world, small world, but talk a little bit about your, your involvement in the capital region before you even moved here with Siena, Siena basketball. Was there any connection with the capital region within your family? Yeah, that's kind of like a crazy one because I mean, I, the amount of days that I probably spent in, in the capital region before I actually got hired by Siena could, you could count on one hand. Um, <laughs> not really much of a connection to the region. Um, but I mean, I guess just the times that I was here doing Vermont U Albany games. So maybe more than one hand, but, but barely. Um, but that being said, um, most people wouldn't know that both of my parents actually went to union college and, uh, and graduated in class of, of 84. Um, I can't say that they necessarily, followed union or union athletics too closely after because uh, I look at everything through like an athletics prism and like unions d3 and so we never really focused on it very much I have to admit after leaving probably the most we focused on it was when they won the national title in hockey their d1 sport that one year so there was that but I, I kind of never really thought too much of it but kind of a crazy coincidence as it works out that I wound up back here spending now yeah, I've actually going to wind up spending more time here than they did because I'm, I'm working on four years and counting now in, in the capital region where they obviously obviously spent the four when they were here as students that's that's the real circle of life <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're going to transition it to our, our quick hitters 
Um, first question, uh, what, what would you say is your favorite food or a, a meal that you maybe mastered during quarantine? Uh, not one that I'm, like, I'm a terrible cook, so it all goes back to what I can order. But um, I was reading at one point, this, I'm going to give you, this is called the art of the teas in broadcasting. I'm going to start with this food. I was reading at one point was the most popular food in the entire world. And you'll never guess what it is. It's a dish called Masaman curry. It's a, it's a Thai food dish. I guess it also kind of like a crossover could be like an Indian food dish. Uh, but I'm a huge fan of Thai food. That, that particular order, Masaman curry, it's kind of this like peanut sauce with uh, carrots and potatoes. And you can make, make your choice of, and maybe some onions and have your choice of meat. And I love the sauce. And I just think it's like the most tasty thing in the world. I'm not going to the list. <laughs> I'm saying if, if you're not a broadcaster, now we got, we got chef, chef in the, in the kitchen. <laughs> what uh what would you say your favorite place to eat in the capital region is um that's a tough one i mean i heard you asked other guys that so i should have been more prepared for it <laughs> <laughs> um i would say well either going to mcgeary's after a sienna game is where i kind of got like my introduction to some of the sienna athletics community at large like I'm not going to pretend that they're that I think their food is the best food in the capital region, but just some good memories there. Um, either that or like probably a good combo would just be like, I like the warehouse district and I like nine pin a lot. And then like, it'd be like going there and then like going to Druthers nice. is, is a good combo down there. Getting some Mac and cheese uh, is, is another good call. Can't go wrong with that. What, so what if we were in Syracuse, what would you be your favorite spot you have to eat? Ooh, uh, probably Varsity Pizza. That's, uh, th that's also known as the spot where when the football team beats an opponent, they flip, they have all the, the conference teams, their banners hung up inside there. They go back and they flip the opponent's banner upside down. And uh, it's known for great pizza, so Varsity Pizza. <laughs> What uh? What would you? Who would be your all-time favorite Celtic? Paul Pierce. Paul Pierce. Wow. No, not even close. Uh, Ruth. He's my idol growing up. So uh, my step back was never, uh, never, <laughs> never quite was quite able to master the step back like his. But uh, just uh, just love that guy and always think about how like what we're learning these days is just how much of a blessing life is and like how to just be thankful for like the time that we're here sure. um, with some of the people that we've lost in 2020. Um, and like Paul Pierce was like a millimeter away from losing his life, like really early in his career, went through a stabbing incident and, and was able to survive and, and wind up having a, a hall of fame career and, and win an NBA title. Yeah. No, uh, shout out Inglewood, California at one time, but uh, <laughs> that's right. Since you've been covering the Saints, who would you say is the best player you've covered? And also, who's been your favorite player to cover? So, I mean, the best player is clearly Jalen Pickett. I mean, he's got a chance to be one of the best Sienna players of all time. And it's, a, it's an honor to have a chance to do his games. And hopefully he becomes that Sienna player that makes his impact, uh, that makes kind of the first notable impact in the NBA. Hopefully that actually happens. So uh, hopefully Jalen breaks the streak there. 
and becomes that guy. And I could say like I did Jalen Pickett's games as he's, you know, somebody's uh, point guard helping them win games in the NBA. Um, can I do two other favorites, um, like favorite personality and kind of favorite story, Evan Fisher? This guy is just, just the nicest dude, like just the most genuine guy you could possibly – like takes the time. As you said, Ron, like it's easy as a player, especially like you're so wrapped up in like getting your job accomplished and winning games and kind of being locked in during the season. Like I never, ever had a player more often than Evan just come up to me like who am I like he you know I'm I'm the last ranked guy in this traveling party uh, you know you're talking about all the coaches that these guys hang out with and and learn from on a regular basis and the strength coach and uh, the trainer hammer and the other players obviously that that these players are establishing relationships with all the time and like then all of a sudden like I said the broadcaster comes in like who the heck am I Evan Fisher would always take time out and be like how are you doing you know what's going on with you and just a really interesting guy in general. And, um, and a great story in terms of how he really tra transformed his game during the course of his career, going from someone who started out, the plan for him was kind of to be a stretch big, never really worked out in terms of that role, but then bulked up some more um, and became a monster uh, in the paint and really a great pick and roll partner with, uh, with Jalen Pickett his senior year. Um, and then I'll sort of, as far as someone else that deserves a shout out, I mean, it's only been, again, it's only recent history for me because it's only been four years, but I just love the competitive fire that Marquise Wright played with. And uh, maybe a little bit overshadowed now in this sort of era because of Jalen Pickett coming in and, uh, and doing what he's done at the, at the point guard spot. But, but man, like Marquise was a hell of a competitor and, 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 and so are those other seniors too, and they all deserve to 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 hang a banner. It's too bad that it came so close in that Iona game in uh, in 2017. But Marquise, like I always remember, my first year being with the team, we went and played at Kansas, and just playing against um, playing against Devonte Graham and Frank Mason and Marquise Wright, just outplaying them, and just being like, "No, I'm the best guard in the court today." And that, that was, uh, that's something I'll never forget. Shout out Evan Fisher. Shout out Marquise. <laughs> we got you know, all the shout outs we can get. We can tweet at them. Get them, <laughs> get them, get them following us. But, uh, you know, you, you, you do a lot. You have, you wear a lot of hats broadcasting for Siena. You know, you do soccer, baseball, volleyball, basketball. Which would you say is your favorite to uh, broadcast? Well, definitely. Got to be basketball. But um, if you're looking for a second place, I actually played high school varsity volleyball. So uh, shout out to Coach Ozils and the volleyball team. Uh, love broadcasting volleyball when I get the opportunity. Definitely, definitely. Is there a, like, the best single game performance? I know you touched on Marquise's game at, at Kansas, but is there another one, or if that's it, the best single game performance that you've seen or called for? So I was thinking about this one because I thought you might ask. So it comes down to two options here, and I can't decide. I mean, number one would be the combined performance of Cameron Young from Quinnipiac and Jalen Pickett um, going for 50-plus and 40-plus, respectively, in the same game. That was pretty cool in a college basketball game. But when you take into account what was at stake and kind of the gravity of the moment, 
got to go with Nico Clareth in the second half on one leg because he was injured, let's not forget, in the MAC semis against Monmouth my first year. Um, that was something that was just – it was so shocking, so out of nowhere, just single-handedly getting Sienna to the MAC championship game. I wish that that – I don't know that tarnished is the right word. Um, I wish that Nico went on to complete his career with Sienna and, like, have sort of a happier ending to the Nico Clareth story. Um, here, so I, it's, it's always because you, you go back and you talk about that game and you kind of naturally just think about, well, then it kind of all came apart for Nico pretty soon after that during his time at Siena. So I wish that hadn't been the case. But, hey, I mean, in that moment in time, that game, that second half, that was like something, you know, no one had ever pretty much seen before, the way that he went off against Monmouth. You're giving a, got a lot of good points. I, I like that you don't just touch on one. You know, you give, you're not afraid to give us two. I like that. <laughs> who, would you, uh, who would you say the best person you ever interviewed was? Um, I interviewed a lot of interesting people, particularly when I was in Vermont, um, just on that talk show. We had some interesting people on. Probably Doris Burke. Mm -hmm. I mean, we, we had Doris Burke on that radio show when I worked at ESPN Vermont, like right after, at the time, things, it's crazy how like nowadays, like this would seem like such a minor issue. Like, but at the time it was a big deal. Like remember when Greg Popovich was going after reporters and like being <laughs> re really, really mean to like reporters, especially in-game reporters that were asking questions. That was like a huge deal. And there was just a game where he was just straight up nasty to Doris Burke. And he wound up having to apologize to her or something like that. We wound up getting Doris on our show, like right after that happened during the NBA finals. And, and she was so great with her responses. Um, and clearly such a nice, genuine person as well. And just like happy to talk to our random show up in Vermont. So that was a, that was a fun interview at the time. That's awesome. That's awesome. Um, so any, I know you said you touched on earlier, how much preparation goes into each game or is there any pregame rituals superstitions like maybe you you know put on one shoe and before you leave then another one later like anything kind of out of the ordinary that was by the way that was Rossiter to continue to shout out your previous guest that was like the most insightful response I have heard when you asked him that question and he said that he was listening to the JJ Reddick podcast and the point about how you don't want to get stuck in something because yeah. then you feel like if you lose out on a chance to get that part of your routine in that you're going to be off that day like I am now going to change what I do because of that response because I, I yeah I mean the answer is yes I do have a bit of a routine but that's totally on point because when that routine is knocked out of whack because of whatever variables it does get in your head a little bit. So, I mean, the biggest thing I try to do is I do have some vocal warm-ups that I have that uh, I used to work with a coach, um, a vocal coach, to just sort of help out with different – it's a long story. don't need to get into everything that we went over. But, I, you know, I do – and a number of broadcasters would probably say they have these and some probably don't need them. But I feel like I need some warm-ups. So I try and find a quiet spot. And if I can't, then I just sit there and just do it right in the middle. Like sometimes Connor will be like, look over and like, what are you doing? Probably like, probably looking over like a weird look. 
Uh, Mike Demos loves to look at me when I'm doing these. Like I, I kind of like massage my jaw a little bit and kind of like move my mouth all around and have to, you know, I, I kind of give it like a ooh and an ah and say different things. And I get some weird looks sometimes when I have to just do it in the middle of the arena when I don't have time to find a quiet spot. But yeah, getting those vocal warm-ups in and just trying to take a deep breath and be as calm as possible um, going into a game because my issue is I can get a little bit overheated and a little bit like I love the adrenaline like I said but I need to make sure that I'm staying focused and locked in and not losing sight of like what my job is not getting too wrapped up in the energy and the emotion so trying to sort of meditate on the fly a little bit take a deep breath and and again get those warm-ups in that's key but that is an interesting thought from, from your previous guest to try and make sure, honestly, like I, I think I'm going to change the way now that I do things and try and mix things up a little bit more so that it doesn't get in your head when you do break your routine. Hey, keep shouting everyone out. You got a lot of good shout outs in here, but um, what, what, what do you, what do you like better calling a TV game or a radio game? Radio is my first love. I think I think I do like TV right now better, if I'm being honest, because in, the thing with TV is that we all get to enjoy it together. Like radio, it's almost selfish. Like I'm getting to see what's going on, but nobody else is. People that are listening in the car. And so I'm doing as much as I can, and you are too, Connor, when you're on the broadcast, to bring that portrait to life. And that process is super fun. I love it. Like let's make no mistake about it. But just Doing a, doing a game on TV, everyone gets to enjoy it at once and see what's going on. And I feel like that's more like that's the preferred medium for the people that are the, the viewer slash listener in that case. Like I, I, because I know, like I can picture myself, usually when I'm driving around, there are some great, great radio broadcasters that I love listening to that do a great job. But usually I'm trying to get home and watch the damn thing on TV. <laughs> like that's what people do for the most part, I would say. I think it's safe to say. Um, so I'm just being honest there. And hopefully for people that are running errands or are in their car for whatever reason, driving around, they tune the Sienna game in and, and they hear us and they think we're doing a good job um, and or listening to the post game show. Like that's a really important part of our job. I feel like especially after home games, people are driving home from the TU center. Uh, maybe not this year because of COVID, but listen, listening to our post game show driving home from the arena, that's super important. But for me, like I said, I know that I want to watch a big game on TV. And so I want to be calling a big game on TV as well, if I'm being honest. <laughs> there you go. So to piggyback off that one, we all know you're going to have this wonderful 50-plus year career at Siena. But if you could name a dream job where, you know, maybe someone could pull you out from, from the Great Saints, what would that dream job be? Yeah. Um, it's, it's, it's like that conversation that was relayed from, uh, from, from Fran. Like if, uh, if Notre Dame or Kentucky comes calling like that, that same thing, uh, if the Celtics came calling, that would be a tough no. Cause I grew up a huge Celtics fan. Um, Connor did as well, but yeah, just like my parents can still remember me running around the house yelling, Paul Pierce for three, imitating the public address announcer, uh, Paul Pierce, Antoine Walker, uh, Kenny Anderson, Tony Batie, 
uh, all those guys. Like, and it's such a terrible era also, like, of Celtics basketball to say that I am rooted from. Like, then it's like, talk to someone 10 years older than me. It's like, yeah, well, we grew up watching Larry Bird <laughs> and Kevin McHale and Robert Parrish. So uh, kind of a weird, uh, like, late 90s, early 2000s era for me to grow up on Celtics basketball in. But nonetheless, uh, that's the team I grew up watching. So that would be the one that it would be a, a – uh, that would be the automatic yes. But I don't know that anybody would blame me if an NBA team came calling. Not at all. <laughs> what's, uh, what's one piece of advice you'd give to someone who's starting out uh, wanting to be in the broadcast industry? Uh, be yourself. I think just be true to who you are. And uh, then you have nothing to worry about, really. Because if you're trying to put like a some type of attitude on or, you know, like cultivate a personality as something or someone that like, like obviously it's important to try and broaden your horizons and, and get out of your comfort zone a little bit. Um, not that those things aren't important, but I always feel like, like when, you, when someone's on the air or excuse me, when I'm on the air and someone's listening, the voice that I want them to hear is my voice, not a broadcaster voice. Oh, this is AJ Cannell. This is a broadcast right now. Like, I don't, I don't want to put on that voice or that mentality or personality. I mean, maybe sometimes it comes off that way because look, it's a broadcast. It can sound broadcastery at times, but one time, one of the former assistants, Jordan Watson, uh, shout out to him, uh, previous uh, regime Siena assistant, he told me, he's like, uh, his, his nickname for me was Juice, whole other story, but he's like, Juice, when I talk to you, you just sound like a guy. You don't sound like a broadcaster. When I talk to some other broadcasters, they always sound like they're putting on a broadcaster voice. And that was the best compliment I had ever received because it's so easy to get stuck in that trap of kind of sounding like a broadcaster, putting something on. But my biggest thing is I want to be genuine and just be – um, approachable and conversational and just be that guy that's having, uh, you know, it's like you're having a beer and discussing the game with your friend. So that's what I want to be. And to, and to anyone else that wants to enter this industry, I mean, I suggest just being true to yourself. Great, great piece of advice. So you're obviously our fourth member of the episode. Uh, we have Ron, Ryan, and Tim. Um, who, name, name, and drop a name of someone you love to see on our podcast. So, I kind of want to like something that I've always thought about with Sienna that I feel like I know nothing about, and I think I'm. I want to use your podcast. Like I'm going to be listening every episode because I want to hear and learn more about Sienna basketball. It's such a great resource for someone like me. Like I said at the start, but something that I feel like I don't know almost anything about is Siena basketball way back in the day. Like, I know we're on, I know we're on Zoom right now, so I don't know if you can drag on here that, know, that, you can, that knows how to, you know, you can get to use the technology. But, like, I got an email um, in the middle of this, this past season from Fred Shear, for instance, a guy whose numbers were tired, who played for Siena, like, back in the early 70s. Like, can you bring someone like that on? that can talk about the Siena Saints like before they were even D1 yeah. and what, what the environment was at that point um, around the program. I know for the most part, that probably won't be your main focus of this podcast, but at some point 
I think that would be an interesting angle to interview someone like that from way back in the day. We're, 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 we're looking, we're going to try to get everyone and anyone, anyone, this, this even goes out to anyone listening to this podcast. If you play at Siena, affiliate with Siena and you want to be on, we will, t- we, we're not saying no to anybody. Um, but we're just, we're obviously we're, if you bring Graz on, it's going to be your first three hour episode. I hate to break <laughs> it to you. I'm sure you'll bring Andy on at some point. We have a, yeah, we have, we have a big list. You know, we, we're trying to, you know, extend it out, different kind of people. You know, we want to get into, obviously, the women's side also. That's important. Yeah. Um, get into, you know, uh, into administrators, um, weight training, all that kind of stuff. But uh, the last thing I have is the last question I personally have is, your thoughts on the upcoming season? Will there be a season? What do you think it's going to look like? Just looking for your opinion. I'm glad you asked because I actually reached out to, to Sienna before this conversation to clarify some stuff and make sure like we sort of had all our ducks in a row and I was on the same page with what they've been hearing. And I'm pulling up my notes right now because I want to make sure I get this all right. So where things are right now at Sienna, um, I don't know ex- as far as when we're talking compared to when this is going to get published, there's a little bit of a delay, I know, but September 7th is when organized basketball activities can start. So, and at that point, it'll only still be small groups. So then there's a little bit of a delay and then hopefully eventually they can get into full team activities. But as of right now, they, they really have nothing except for getting, being able to congregate potentially on their own, play some hoops on, some casual pickup on the outdoor courts is my understanding. But basically no official organized basketball activities. Students got to campus, they quarantined, things looking good so far. But September 7th is when organized activities can start. Um, September 17th, for all basketball fans out there is a key date. That is when Dan Gavitt, the NCAA senior VP for basketball is supposed to make an official announcement on or around that date of when the season's going to start. All indications are the season will not start on time. So whatever we thought as far as, you know, okay, the usual early November start, it might not be too far off from that, but it looks like that is almost a 0% possibility right now. Uh, the two best guesses are kind of thank Thanksgiving-ish and then maybe slightly after that, and then maybe even January 1st or, or, or the new year. But maybe the most realistic possibilities as of now are like a November 25th or maybe a December 4th. But for Siena, they have a tournament in Orlando scheduled around Thanksgiving. So if we do get that November 25th start, it might be logical to see Siena going right down to the Orlando bubble as it works out to play that tournament against some high major schools that they're already scheduled for on Thanksgiving. So we'll see if that happens. As far as my quick thoughts on the upcoming season, um, I want to remind everyone that like every year is a new year and that I think expectations rightfully are going to be high for Siena this year after winning the conference last year, there will be a banner that gets put up at some point and they should be recognized for that as the defending Mac champions. But you know, some of the losses that this team is going to have to deal with now, um, they kind of had their power four from last year of Pickett, Camper, 
Burns, and then Carey was at fourth. Burns and Carey now gone. I mean, we knew Elijah, you know, graduating, the, the, the grad transfer, he uses his eligibility. And then in the middle of the summer, Carey leaving. So you have Pickett and Camper back, but like outside of those two, and I mean, those are two guys that, I mean, who brings back a better duo in the conference or even close to it? Like, that's amazing what you bring back in just those two, um, especially when you consider that a lot of other teams in the MAC lost a lot of parts. Like, there was a transfer bug that hit this conference at the, at the, start, of, at the start of the real pandemic. There was a transfer pandemic that it hit, that hit uh, Siena, uh, that hit the MAC, excuse me, in like March and April. Um, but for the Saints, you know, picking in camper, and I'm kind of looking at the, sort of depth chart besides that right now and there there are a lot of questions I mean it was good timing to bring in Nick Hopkins like just days after they lost Carey to transfer and that was big on the coaching staff for obviously having somebody like that ready that they were interested in prepared to bring in as soon as Carey announced his decision to leave and good for him going to Georgetown I mean you bring in Nick Hopkins to sort of fill part of that role the transfer from Belmont immediately eligible thing is there so like carries a guard that's like six five ish Hopkins is that undersized combo guard really more of a shooting guard in a point guard's body but the thing with him is his turnover rate is way lower than carries and yes he has less size but first of all like most of the teams in the MAC are playing with undersized guards at the one and the two or maybe even more like Iona's out there winning MAC titles and they're playing like they could have four guys in the court that are six feet tall so who cares about that? And, like, Carey's defense wasn't great anyway. So I think Hopkins comes in. He gives you shooting. Hopefully he's not much of a step back from Carey. And then beyond that, you hope that, you, like, what are you doing down low? Kyle Young comes back, and then you bring in transfers, Dana Tate, Harrison Curry. Those are kind of the question marks for me. Who gets the lion's share of the minutes at the big man spot besides Manny Camper, who's going to be probably your starting four? Can Gary Harris take a big step forward this year and be more consistent over the course of the season? Um, what does Aiden Carpenter give you? He's probably going to be the most utilized freshman. But again, you know, I'm throwing out all these names. To me, it's kind of the picket and camper show. And then what's the depth on the team looking like outside of those two? It might be great. We just don't know because we, we, like the coaching staff probably doesn't know. They haven't had a chance to have these guys on campus at all and work out with them at all because again the basketball activities don't start officially until September 7th so once that starts we'll have a much better idea and I think they're very encouraged by the pieces that they have but it's kind of a little bit the land of the unknown a little bit right now outside of Pickett and Camper who let's face it if there's any type of depth outside of them we feel like this team should be competing for a MAC title again. You, you also touched on one. I'll ask you one more question quickly. Sure. Yeah. Rick Bettino in the Mac. What are your thoughts on that? Ooh, uh, it's just exciting. I mean, <laughs> like, first of all, you know, there's never going to be any love lost um, from us for him because he ruined the Celtics <laughs> when, when, when we were growing up. So there's that. Um, but man, it's crazy that somebody actually gave him a chance to coach men's division one basketball again and wouldn't you know it's Iona it's the least surprising thing if there were a match made in heaven I mean all of the chaos off the court this Iona team has dealt with 
in recent years, yet continuing to win titles. It's, it really it sounds like a match made in heaven between them and Rick Pitino. So I guess perfect fit there. Um, I think in year one, like, look, the talent level, like, Siena should still have the most talent in the conference. And, like, I don't care who you have. Like, it could be Phil Jackson. It could be Doc Rivers. It could be Red Auerbach coming back from the dead and coaching Iona. Like, I still hopefully think that Siena will have the talent to compete with every team in the MAC this year, including Iona. What I'm interested to see, and I, and I, and I don't know, I mean, they, they overhaul their roster every year. So I can't necessarily speak to some of the new guys that Iona's already brought in. I, to be honest, haven't done a deep dive there on what their roster might look like this year. I am interested to see two or three years down the road the type of recruits Rick Pitino brings into Iona College, like who he's really getting to play for Iona. That's kind of maybe the scary thing. Maybe not this year, but like two or three years down the road, who, who is he able to – is he bringing in like four-star recruits to Iona? Like, I don't know. Who knows? I'd have to wait and see on that. Yeah, and we'll wait to see if he's there two or three years. Also, yeah, that, exactly. that's another thing. <laughs> we'll see. We'll see. We're all we're all we're all rooting for Sian to spoil his first year here. We know we all are part of it, but I just have so many jokes, like one-liners I can make with Rick Pitino that I'm already having to bite. I'm not even on. Like I could probably get away with it on this podcast, and I'm still not going to go there. I'm going to have to train myself to not say it during these broadcasts. You got a couple more months to get them all out of the head and then, <laughs> and then we'll be there. But uh, we definitely appreciate you joining us, AJ. I appreciate Thank hearing you. the insider perspective of the broadcasting side of the game. Um, don't forget to subscribe on wherever you listen to podcasts and our, on our YouTube official page for up-to-date access and the latest on the podcast. We appreciate everyone that's listening and continue to listen. Have a great night.